here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You've heard of this group called No Labels, Mr. Producer? They're a bunch of rhinos and Democrats. Hey, no labels! So I thought I'd start yet another group. You know, I keep starting these groups. And you'll notice I'm chairman and CEO of all of them, as well as the director of DEI, for each and every one of them, as well as the chief judicial analyst. So they have this group called No Labels. I'm going to start a group called No Pants. What do you think of that? I'm not going to actually participate in the meetings because, you know, I like to wear my pants. But I will be the chairman and CEO of No Pants. And uh, maybe we'll fuse it with FU, you know, Fatties United. F you, no pants. You never know. Preferably F you, no labels. 6.30 p.m. tonight, Eastern Time, a.k.a. in 22 minutes or so, President Trump will be on the program. Our Sunday show, Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox, was number one for the entire weekend with our interview of President Trump. The lib media hated it. Oh, it's so gushing. It's so slobbering. And by the way... And by the way, you see this endless reporting on Tucker Carlson? Nasty, vicious, hateful attacks. That's what they think of all of us, you know. You don't have to agree with Tucker on everything. It doesn't matter. This is, this is what they think of all of us. They hate us. And so they want to squelch Fox. They want to squelch conservative talk radio they want to squelch individuals if we don't squelch ourselves and squelching i think is illegal in 14 states mr producer nonetheless i watch this mediaite site people keep bringing it up to me so i go they have like 12 articles 11 of which are about tucker carlson then the view 
these loathsome, low IQ, left-wing nutjobs obsessed with him. Over at MSLSD, you have the bigot, Joy Reid. Al Sharpton over at MSLSD. Nicole Wallace, we swing back to the crackpot. Joe and Amika Scarborough. Very ethical, moral people throughout their lives, by the way, extremely. All clapping like trained seals. Wishing, wishing him ill. And then there's AOC. Marxist, America-hating, racist in my view, AOC. She's beside herself. She's very excited. She, she was so excited she put out a clip of her making macaroni, Mr. Producer. AOC, who says Fox should be regulated because it promotes violence. Chuck Schumer, cornrow farhead Chuck Schumer, davening, hunched over, saying the same thing. Another dummy crowd out of Virgin Islands saying that Matt Taibbi should be thrown in prison. Oh, yeah, yeah. Democrat Party. They would embarrass Stalin. But there you have it. Now, Joe Biden has announced his re-election. This apparently was taped after they uh, pumped him full of something to, uh, so his eyes would open, he would stand up and stop shuffling around into the walls. And the guy's a hater. He's evil. Did I say evil? I'm sorry. He's evil. I didn't call him the devil yet. He's destroying America. And he mentions the word freedom for the first time in his career. And he tries to juxtapose you and me versus freedom, you see. And then he lies like a rug. Constantly. The imbecile lies like a rug. Did I tell the old joke somebody told me, Mr. Producer, I guess it's old, a couple months old, about Dr. Jill and Joe Biden going to dinner? Did I tell you that joke? So Dr. Jill, who really wears the pants in the house, and of course that means Joe wears the dress, but nonetheless they can do whatever they want. So they go to this steakhouse. And Jill Biden orders. She says, I'll have a steak, you know, medium rare. Sorry, I need it well done with ketchup, but that's a whole other story. Don't hate me for it. So she says, medium rare. And the waiter says, what about the vegetable? She says, he likes his well done. Did I never tell that joke? I never told that joke because it's very disrespectful, you know. And I don't like telling disrespectful jokes about Joe Biden, a man of unity, a man who puts his country before his party, a man who puts his country before his own political interests. The Abraham Lincoln of our day. The George Washington of our day. More like the Professor Aaron Corey of our day. But here he is, ladies and gentlemen, announcing... 
He's running for president again. Cut one, go. Freedom. Personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the really. Then leave our stoves alone and leave our cars alone. You moron. Go ahead. To fight for our democracy. This shouldn't be a red or blue issue. Well, it shouldn't be a red or blue issue. We're going to fight for our democracy. And how does he fight for our democracy? By surrendering it to China and Russia and Iran and North Korea. Fight for our democracy. By having open borders so foreigners can pour in here. Of all kinds. People with all kinds of backgrounds. They don't have the foggiest idea who's coming here. Or undermining law enforcement and the Bill of Rights. Fight for democracy. Go ahead. To make sure that everyone in this country is treated equally. And that Everybody is- in the country is treated equally. Unless you're Asian. And Harvard discriminates against your entrance. Doesn't he mean equitably? Everybody's treated equally. Go ahead. Shot at making it. But you know, around the country, MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms. Cutting yeah, 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 the MAGA, the MAGA extremists, they're lining up to take away those bedrock freedoms. Yeah, yeah. The MAGAs. Mangas, M-A-G, Mangas, yeah, they're, they're lining up to take away all those freedoms, you know, that you have there. You know, like they did during the four years at Trump. They didn't take any of our freedoms. Hey, hey, be quiet there. Be quiet, I'll sick the FBI on you. Yeah, I'll, I'll sick the social sites on you, that's right. We'll, we'll shut you down. I'll use my disinformation board. Put the scarlet letter on your forehead and... Prevent you from ever practicing again. That's right. That's right. But they want to take away your bedrock freedoms. Not me. Not, not old lunch bucket Joe. I just want to take away your free speech and freedom of the press. I just want to take away your Second Amendment and due process and stuff like that. I just want to take it away from you. That's all. That's all. Go ahead. That you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes from the very wealthy, dictating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to take away Social Security. Well, you have to vote to do that. Yeah, yeah, I know. But they want to take it away. (laughs) I've used that line in every campaign I've ever run. They want to take away your Social Security. But you're caught on video on the floor of the House saying that you wanted to freeze these programs and slash these. Yeah, yeah, well, whatever. And next you're going to tell me that I was a racist and a segregationist. Well, you were. Yeah, right. But I've got the Washington Post and the New York Times by. Nobody remembers. The wealthy need to pay their fair share. Well, you didn't. You put millions into 2S corporations, you and the doctor, so you wouldn't have to pay Medicare and Obamacare. Hey, hey, hush. I'll sick the FBI on you. Be quiet. Or the IRS, maybe. Maybe the CIA. You never know. Go ahead. Decisions women can make. Banning books. And yeah, telling pe- banning books. 
you know, sexually explicit books with photographs and graphics and different sexual positions and, and this and, and male genitalia and female genitalia and in between genitalia and bottom up and middle out genitalia. We got genitalia everywhere in the libraries here. And, the, and they want to ban them. They want to take these books out. They want to take these books out of the elementary schools. They want to ban books. By the way, how many public schools have my books, Mr. Producer? You want to talk about banning books? Let's start talking about banning books. Anyway, for Joe Biden, the issue is can he read a book? Go ahead. Who they can love. All while making it more difficult. Yes, Republicans are very interested in who you can love. Oh, yes. Who can you love? What are you, a moron? Go ahead. Be able to vote. By the way, this from the hair smeller. This, this from the child toucher. Ooh, can I give you a massage? Am I wrong, Mr. Producer? I'm right. He's like the guy in the raincoat on the corner when it's not raining. Hey, hey. Yes? Can I smell your hair? No. What are you, pervert? And like eight women have come forward and said... He inappropriately touched me. No problem. No problem at all. One woman comes forward and says he molested her when she was his. No problem. It's Lunch Bucket Joe from Scranton. Guy's not. The guy from Scranton. He spent about 13 seconds in Scranton. Lunch Bucket Joe from Scranton. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Go ahead. Oh, I love the music. When I ran for president four years ago, yes. I said we're in a battle for the soul of America. Yeah. And we still are. No, no, we're not actually, we're not battling for the soul of America. No, 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 no. This man says he wants to send a rocket to Mars, Mr. Producer. So far, he succeeded in sending a rocket to Uranus, I think, hasn't he, Mr. Producer? Who names a planet? Uranus. But anyway, that's Joe. Joe Joe says we're battling for the soul of America. Go ahead. Whether in the years ahead, we have more freedom or less freedom. Oh, really? More freedom? May I buy a gas stove? now? May I buy a gas car? now? No, now. May I now? Oh, sorry. More freedom? What does that mean? In Biden's America, what does it mean exactly? Go ahead. Rates are fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. No, no. It's time to go to Wilmington, Delaware. And Rehoboth Beach for 40% of your presidency. Don't be complacent. Don't just blow things off. Go ahead. That's why I'm running for re-election. You're not running for anything. You're sitting on your ass in the basement. What you should be saying, that's why I'm sitting on my ass in the basement. Because I want to be re-elected. Go ahead. Because I know America. 
I know America. Nobody's traveled the country as much as I, except for Palestine, Ohio. I don't want to know about Palestine, Ohio. Except for Nashville, Tennessee. No, no. Don't want to, except for the border. No, no. Don't want to go there. But, but you know, I know America. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Let me ask you, what the heck is going on with the banks? These bank failures are absolutely nuts. How are we supposed to find sanity in this mess? And I was talking with Augusta Precious Metals, and they said tons of people are buying gold to protect the retirement savings right now. I think it's more important than ever to own gold. And guess what? If you have $100,000 plus saved for retirement, Augusta will actually pay you in pure gold to learn how gold IRAs can protect you. Reach out to Augusta Precious Metals today and get started with gold. If you're worried about the bank failures, this is something you can do for yourself. Just call 877-4-GOLD-IRA to learn how to protect your retirement and get your free gold coin. That's Augusta Precious Metals at 877-4-GOLD-IRA. Again, 877-4-GOLD-IRA. Consult your financial professionals before any investment and see risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. President Trump will be on uh, after the bottom of the hour break in a few minutes. Continue Joe Biden's announcement, Mr. Producer. Go. We're good and decent people. I know we're, Wait a minute, so but we're good and decent. Yes. Except for the MAGA extremists. 80 million or more of them. They're not good people. They hate America. They hate democracy. Every one of them, every damn one, insurrectionist. So let us talk about unity, but let us talk about disunity as well. D-I-S-U-N-I-T, disunity. This guy's an idiot. Can we talk about that? I don't think we should take him lightly. And I don't think we should take lightly the Democrat Party and their lawyers in every state trying to ensure that they can't lose. That's the truth. When we come back, former President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. I'll be right back. Let me ask you, what the heck is going on with the banks? These bank failures are absolutely nuts. How are we supposed to find sanity in this mess? And I was talking with Augusta Precious Metals, and they said tons of people are buying gold to protect the retirement savings right now. I think it's more important than ever to own gold. And guess what? If you have $100,000 plus saved for retirement, Augusta will actually pay you in pure gold to learn how gold IRAs can protect you. Reach out to Augusta Precious Metals today and get started with gold. If you're worried about the bank failures, this is something you can do for yourself. Just call 877-4-GOLD-IRA to learn how to protect your retirement and get your free gold coin. That's Augusta Precious Metals at 877-4-GOLD-IRA. Again, 877-4-GOLD-IRA. Consult your financial professionals before any investment and see risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. 
Call in now, 877-381-3811. Well, it's a great pleasure and honor to have uh, President Trump with us. Well, that was some interview you did, President Trump, on Sunday. Uh, the libs went nuts, uh, but it burned up the airwaves. Well, it did. Uh, if you're talking about your show, which I assume you were, because that was uh, on Sunday night, we had a great time, and I just noticed uh, something very special. Your show was number one. It was the number one show. And so we're proud of you, Mark. You do a great job. Well, thank, a great you. The guest, thank you. The, the guest didn't hurt. And we're doing the uh, <laughs> the, the second half this coming Sunday, which oh, is good. as c- wow. compelling as the first half, as far as I'm concerned. I love that. Well, I love being with you, and it was really a good interview. And I'm congratulations on the ratings, because ultimately, if you don't get the ratings, you're gone, right? If you don't get the ratings. So you, uh, <laughs> you were the number one show. I just saw that. Fantastic. Well, no comment, but sometimes when you do, you're gone, too, you know, Mr. President. But anyway, I didn't want to say that. <laughs> your book is very compelling because it has it, in the book is called uh, Letters to Trump. And it has letters from all sorts of people. Uh, the American people would know of the left, the right, the center and so forth. You knew an awful lot of people. They're almost all very kind love letters. And many of these people, since you decided to get into politics, turned on you and, uh, and have yeah. attacked you. What do you make of that? Well, I think they probably voted for me because they like paying low taxes and they like having a secure border and they like having a good military and lots of other things. I, I often say the people living in Beverly Hills and uh, Palos Verdes in California, wealthy areas, uh, Bel Air, I hear I did very well with the vote, even though when they walk out, they'll say, no, uh, I voted for Biden. OK, yeah. I don't think so. So uh, some turned and some actually became very strong. But I put a lot of the turns on because in many cases, the turns, you know, it's more interesting when you see somebody turn from being mm-hmm. totally in love. And then all of a sudden you announce that you're running for president and they don't love you so much anymore. Now, uh, Joe Biden announced and did a video, yeah. and is attacking. Video. Yeah, gee, you've been doing videos now for months, haven't you? Yeah, Good I videos. do videos, but when you're announcing for president, you don't do it through a video. It's crazy. Right. You did. Somebody said seven takes. Uh, you, when you're announcing <laughs> for president, you don't do a video. You do a statement. You go out and you just announce that you're running, and you say a few words, and you... You go back and you do what you're doing, but you don't do it through a video. No, that's mm-hmm. terrible. Now, uh, Chuck Grassley was not was not happy with the interview. He said, you know, Levin and these others, they need to ask Trump what he's going to do. You put out statements. You put out video. You make statements constantly about what you're going to do on every conceivable subject. Do you not? I really do, and I talk about the future very much, but I also talk about the past. You have to learn from the past. I mean, you know, voting and all the things that took place, you have to learn so you can correct them uh, for the next one. You can't let that happen again. And so I would say that, uh, you know, I'm really thinking about the future at this point more. But you have to learn from the past. That's what history is all about. And you can't let it happen again. And we'll never let that happen again. That was a confluence of a lot of different things going on, including COVID. 
but uh, mm-hmm. you can never let that happen again. No, I think we're in good shape. We have we're very strong in the polls against Biden and about and against the Republicans. All of the Republicans are mm-hmm. way, way, way behind. Let me ask you this: uh, in the book, you talk about two Kennedys, Ted and John Jr. Right, and uh, they were both very friendly with you. Uh, yeah, Ted was very friendly with you. You had a uh, a good relationship with John Jr. And you said John Jr. could have been president of the United States, no? That's right. I think that's what he was aiming at. He was going to run for the Senate, and he was going to get out. He had a magazine, George, and it was for a period of time, and it was fine. He actually put me on the cover. Um, but he was a great guy. He was a very handsome person, very handsome man. Uh, I think he would have been incredible, actually. I think he would have been, uh, I think he would have run for the Senate. He would have easily won. And then probably he would have run for president at some point. And, uh, you know, I knew him and I knew his wife. They used to fight like cats and dogs, but they loved each other, you know, so mm-hmm. you never know. They used to, they had a little, uh, they had a very uh, volatile relationship, let's say. But they uh, they ultimately, you know, it worked somehow. And, uh I'd watch things that say that's an interesting relationship, but it seemed to work. And, you know, it was a horrible thing when they uh, when they went on that plane and they went into that New England fog, Mm. smog, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. It's the thickest anywhere in the world. I don't know if people know that, but it's if you don't know how to fly with instruments or if you're just okay at it, you're in big trouble when you get in that. And they got caught going up to Massachusetts and they didn't take the the route along the coast. You know, you take the route along the coast and then you make a small right as opposed to making a big right and in theory saving time. And uh, he was an expert at instruments and uh, the plane, they got, they got lost in the, uh, they got Sad. lost in the fog. Very sad, actually. Very sad. He w- he really did have a, a tremendous future. You know, his uh, mother wanted him very much to go into politics, which is amazing. And I think John really wanted to be an actor. Mm-hmm. And he had the look, I can tell you. But I think John would have preferred being an actor. But he was going to run, in my opinion, I mean, it's what he said to me, he was going to run for office and uh, he would have he would have been a senator and he would have been maybe maybe a president. One of your closest friends when you were president was uh, the president of Japan, Abe. And you got very close to him, and he was close to you, and then he was assassinated. That must have been a shock. This is in the book as well. Right. Oh, he was fantastic. He was a fantastic man, loved his country. Uh, I'd ask him all sorts of questions about that culture. It's an amazing culture, the Japanese culture, as you know. And uh, I'd ask him about the kamikaze pilots. His father was a certified kamikaze pilot, never wow. got to never got to fly. And he was always uh, saddened by the fact it was sort of an incredible conversation. And I said, uh, let me because, you know, the kamikaze thing, it's like, right. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Suicide. Somebody could do that. Yeah. It was suicide, basically. And I said, were they drunk or in drugs? He said the only drug they had was love for their country. That was the only drug. I said, well, that was his father was always very devastated by the fact he never got to fly. He never got he was two weeks out. The war ended two weeks before he was going to go out. Can you believe that? That's that's uh, really something. But I'll never forget his answer. No, it was love of his of their country. And you, you wonder how many Americans would be doing that. Right. It's a very hard 
It's very hard to understand. But, you know, the culture is an amazing culture. And he was an amazing man. He was a very uh, loved guy. He actually left early because he wasn't well. He had a problem. And he, I think he cleared up the problem. And he would have, uh, he would have run again. And he would have been prime minister. I think he would have won again. I think he would have uh, very easily won. And uh, he was very popular. And he had a maniac. Uh, assass- he was assassinated by a mm-hmm. maniac. Probably the only gun in Japan. You know, they don't allow guns. It's like, mm-hmm. it's very tough. But this guy made a gun in his basement, a very crude gun. But unfortunately, it worked. And uh, he's gone. But he was a great man and a great leader. You know, on the show, uh, by the way, the book is Letters to Trump. You can get it at 45books.com or, uh, of course, Amazon.com, where it's number one. Mr. President, we talked about um, Arnold Palmer on the TV show, but you were also friends with a lot of other golfers like Jack Nicholas, no? Right. And he wrote right. to a very, Jack, very nice letter as well. Jack Nicholas, sure, Gary Player. These are great champions. And Jack was uh, extraordinary. He's, he reacted well under pressure. He, You know, some people do and some people don't. The differences with golf and some other sports, most other sports, I guess, under certain circumstances, uh, you either react well under pressure or find a new way to make a living, right? Mm-hmm. And Jack probably reacted better under pressure than anybody. Uh, he was an amazing uh, champion, and he would play better when there was great pressure. 99% of the players play much worse. And he'd hit the great shots or the great putts, when he was needing it to win the Masters, and other people would not be able to do that. And he was just a great champion. I think you're probably born with that, perhaps. I don't know if you develop it, really. It's like that in life. You know, the only difference is uh, sports. It's sort of a microcosm of life. And you see it more plainly, more, you know, it's easier. Hey, the putt goes in or the ball goes over the fence or whatever it might be. But Jack uh, is a great champion with an unbelievable record and an unbelievable record when he had to play well. And most people can't say that. You uh, got along quite well with Barbara Walters. She considered you one of the most important public figures out there uh, when she would do her shows and so forth. And uh, she created the show The View. We have all these women on there who are constantly attacking you and so forth. Yeah. but you got along with her quite well, no? I got along with all of them. You know, I got along with Whoopi, great. She asked me if I'd do a movie. She made a movie about, I don't know, I remember basketball. And uh, she said, would you do a cameo? Uh, I got along with Joy. Joy loved Trump. She said, please do the show. Every, every, I mean, I got along with the ones that, you know, I knew. I got along with them great. Uh, and now I don't know if they hate me, but I guess they hate me. I guess I'm also good for their ratings. But the fact is that uh, I got along with it. I mean, I literally did a cameo for Whoopi Goldberg in a movie that she made mm. and uh, got along with them. And then when I ran for office, wasn't even policy. It was just like when I ran for office, did a great job. Our country was fantastic. Just prior to COVID coming in, in the history of our country, we never had a country doing so well. And everybody was coming together. But we had the greatest economy in history. Uh, Everything was, everybody was working, whether you had degrees or no good degrees. If you had, if you just were in this country, Hispanic, uh, Asian Americans, think of it, Asian Americans, uh, 
uh, just everybody, African-Americans had the greatest period of time they've ever had economically. There's never been a period of time like that for the African-Americans, for the Asian-Americans, for the uh, Hispanics. It's it was an amazing time. There's never been a time in the history of our country. Then we got hit with this horrible gift from China. And then we uh, we got our way out of it. By the time I left, we had two and a half unbelievable years. By the time I left, the stock market was higher than it was before COVID came in. It was uh, really amazing, actually. But that was a time, especially that time prior to COVID, was a time the likes of which our country has never had. We were leapfrogging China. China was going to take always for many years, as you know. They said 2018, 2019, China would become the biggest economy. And they were so far behind us that it was incredible. Plus, I took in hundreds of billions of dollars from China in the form of tariffs and taxes. No, no other president took in 10 cents, Mark. Not even mm-hmm. nothing. They ripped us off left and right. And I took in hundreds of billions of dollars. I made an incredible trade deal with China for our farmers and manufacturers. And then when COVID came in, I didn't even talk about it. But I made the USMCA. That's Mexico, Canada. We we just, you know, we did a great deal. The, the, we did a lot of great deals. We renegotiated the deal with South Korea, which was terrible. We renegotiated the deal with Abi, our great Abi. He was, uh, you know, we made a deal where... It was horrible. They they didn't have any of our cars. They didn't have any of our product. They wouldn't take anything, and yet we sold hundreds of billions of dollars worth of their cars. I said, it's not fair. We can't do it. And I renegotiated the whole deal. It was great. Great for us. Good for them, but great for us. It was not sustainable how bad the deals were. Nobody did anything about it. And I got them all done. We made great trade deals. That's why we did so well. And then you watch what Joe Biden is doing to the country, unraveling pretty much everything you put in place. What is, how does that make you feel? Obviously, you want to run for president and stop him. Well, we had the safest border in history, and he unraveled it. We had fewer people coming in than ever. I had Mexico give us free of charge 2, uh, 28,000 soldiers. We had 28,000 Mexican soldiers for no charge. Now, I said, if you don't do that, I'm going to charge you 25 percent tariffs, but we don't have to discuss that. But they gave us soldiers. We had we had very few people. We had record low people coming in. You know that you report in it all the time. We had the safest border. We had to stay in Mexico policy. How about that one? Instead of stay in the United States, they had to stay in Mexico until they had their papers to come out. I had built hundreds of miles of wall and the wall worked so well. And it was so incredible. Then I was doing an extra 200 miles beyond what I said. And uh, we had the election result. I won't go into it because uh, you're associated with Fox, so we're not allowed to talk about that stuff. <laughs> but uh, but we had the election result. And what happened, Mark, is that uh, uh, three weeks, he could have finished it, and he chose not to. And that's what I said they really want an open border. It's incredible. And they actually, and now we have millions of people flowing in from prisons, from mental institutions, insane asylums. And uh, it's not even believable that somebody could want this. Nobody should want this. Now, this book uh, about these letters that people wrote to you and you wrote them back and so forth, I mean, we can barely even touch the surface. I mean, there's scores and scores of people in here. Yeah. uh, Letters to Trump. What 
caused you to write this book? What were you thinking? I was with a group of people, and they saw some of these old letters, like uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber inviting me to a new musical that he was going to open in New York and London. And uh, would you please come? I'm opening up a new musical. It's called The Phantom of the Opera. I was there at opening night with him. And he lived in Trump Tower with Sarah Brightman. And she was starring in it. But I said, uh, yeah, I'll go. And then I watched Phantom of the Opera. I said, this thing is unbelievable. You know, it's, it was great. One of the all-time most successful, I guess. But, you know, so I have the letter. And he's writing about Phantom of the Opera like nobody had ever heard of it. But he said, I'd love to have you come to the new musical. It's called The Phantom of the Opera. And I said, all right. And I, I have the little note I wrote back to him. Okay, good. Sounds good. And I went to see opening night at Phantom of the Opera. You know, and I thought it was great, but who would have known it was going to be for many, many years at one of the most successful. There's so many Richard Nixon writing letters that were mm -hmm. really fascinating because he was a fascinating per person. Some people don't like him much, but he was a fascinating, very smart, tough person. Um, and we just have Oprah writing me incredible letters, Lady Di writing me incredible letters. And so we have many of them in here. I have thousands of letters from people. Yes. And it's pretty fascinating to see, actually. It is. I mean, you you go back and forth with one of North Korea. You've got Putin in there. Yeah. You've got yeah. you got good guys, too. But uh, I want to tell you, this is a fascinating book, America. You can get it at Amazon.com, 45books.com. And the book is Letters to Trump. And again, it really is insightful about your whole life, really, including your presidency, but long before that, how people thought of you, uh, the kind of life you led, and so forth and so on. It really is a fascinating, a fascinating book. Again, you can get it at Amazon.com or 45books.com. Mr. President, God bless you, and be safe by all means. I will. Thank you, Mark, and God bless you, and congratulations on Sunday night. That was a great thing. For, to be number one on Sunday night is a big deal. So well, congratulations, and I'll see you again. Well, it, it helped having you as the guest. All right, take care. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Let me ask you, what the heck is going on with the banks? These bank failures are absolutely nuts. Are we supposed to find sanity in this mess? And I was talking with Augusta Precious Metals, and they said tons of people are buying gold to protect the retirement savings right now. I think it's more important than ever to own gold. And guess what? If you have $100,000 plus saved for retirement, Augusta will actually pay you in pure gold to learn how gold IRAs can protect you. Reach out to Augusta Precious Metals today and get started with gold. If you're worried about the bank failures, this is something you can do for yourself. Just call 877-4-GOLD-IRA to learn how to protect your retirement and get your free gold coin. That's Augusta Precious Metals at 877-4-GOLD-IRA. Again, 877-4-GOLD-IRA. Consult your financial professionals before any investment and see risk disclosures at AugustaPreciousMetals.com. have 40 seconds a lot more next hour so i think i'll call this no labels group the no pants group i don't need to start one well you heard president trump now i'll tell you what's fascinating what the left media hate 
how intelligent, substantive, cogent he is. Oh, look, he's slobbering. I'm not slobbering at all. Here he comes. That's the bottom line. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number... 877381 Anyway, uh, you know, uh, we, we just adopted two dogs. Ronnie, who's about eight months, and uh, he was seven months. And Toby, two male dogs, he's now six months. And he's a tiny little dog. When we adopted Ronnie, he was already neutered. Toby got neutered today, Mr. Producer. Much like Joe Biden and Joe Biden. Anyway, just came home. My wife just brought him home. and He's yiping a little bit and crying a little bit. It's very upsetting, to be perfectly honest. Like, what the hell did you do to us? Or, or what the hell did you do to me? He's got that cone on his head and... Anyway, uh, we'll be dealing with that for a little while. Joe Biden's age. Joe Biden used to think age was in it. By the way, you notice how nobody but the most obsessed and unhinged Democrat talks about Trump's age. Does Trump sound like he's 78 years old, Mr. Producer? No. Doesn't look it, doesn't sound... Joe Biden... Looks and sounds like he's 178 years old. Everybody knows it. And yet, back in 1972, when he was 29 years old, and he was running for the Senate of the United States, he went after a man called Cal Boggs. Cal Boggs being the Republican, Cal Boggs was in the Senate for a good, good amount of time. And Nixon talked him into uh, running again, even though he didn't want to. CNN actually covered this. Cut to go. CNN's K-File is also digging into President Biden's campaign history. While Biden is now the oldest president in U.S. history, he was once vying to be one of the youngest senators ever. And he took an interesting position on age back then. CNN's Andrew Kaczynski is uncovering the story for us. Andrew, tell us about how Biden campaigned that time around. Right. So 51 years ago, Joe Biden was a 29-year-old Delaware uh, city councilman. Uh, He was so young that when he was elected, he was not even the age uh, that he could be sworn in. He didn't turn 30 until after that. 
uh, election, and he was attacking his opponent, uh, Republican Senator Kale Boggs, over his age. Boggs was 63 at the time. Uh, now we should note that 17 years younger than Biden is today. That's more than 20 years younger uh, than Biden would be uh, in his second term if he was reelected, if he runs for reelection. Uh, and what's interesting about this is Biden in that campaign, uh, he had some quotes where he said uh, Boggs had lost uh, that old twinkle uh, in his eye uh, was one of his quotes. This this uh, approach was so explicit uh, that the local press dubbed it the dear old dad uh, approach to campaigning. Take a look at some of these uh, newspaper ads that the Biden campaign uh, ran during that campaign. You can see that he cited things uh, like the 1948 poll tax. Uh, he had ads where he talked about Joseph Stalin uh, and jazz musicians uh, doing uh, heroin uh, and he, he hammered home this line to contrast with, with Boggs, who was a two-term senator and a two-term governor. Uh, he used this line, he understands what's happening today. Uh, take a listen to, to one of the radio ads uh, that his campaign ran, hammering that home. In Kale Boggs' day, when Stalin ruled, Americans had visions of Russian soldiers in our streets. In Joe Biden's day, Americans have visions of American criminals in our streets. Joe Biden, he understands what's happening today. Uh, so that was then. Uh, this is now. And it's going to be interesting to see how Biden uh, handles those age-related questions. See, he was a sleazeball at the age of 29, actually before, and he's a sleazeball now. He will say and do anything for power, for self-aggrandizement, and to enrich himself. He is a sleazeball. He's always been a sleazeball. That's why he was a segregationist early in his career. He didn't just support it. He was an activist for segregation. And now he's, you know, Mr. Equity, who stands up against MAGA extremists. He is a man who is fundamentally really empty he's empty of a soul a heart or a brain empty which is why so many democrats really don't want him to run again except the radical leftists who think the people pulling his strings are doing a hell of a good job for the country but there are serious issues with this so he attacks a 63 year old for being too old to serve as a senator a 63 year old which in today's Washington is, is like a, uh, it's a sophomore. It's a young person. 63. Seems like everybody in a position of power is 93, and that's okay if you're 93, but, you know, president, probably not so much. Imagine that. Now, Corinne Jean-Pierre, why do they even have her up there? I mean, why, why does the press even bother? Has she ever given a straight answer about anything? No, she doesn't. And she's really not free to, to be quite frank about it. She's just not a good liar. That Pisaki is a good liar. That's why she's on MSNBC now. She's a hell of a good liar. Kirby, another good liar. He's a good liar. But uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre is a liar, just not a good liar. So Steve 
Portnoy of CBS News. Steve Portnoy is pretty good, by the way. I knew him when he worked at ABC and when so many of these stations that I'm on now were owned by the ABC radio network, which was bought by another company, which was bought by another company, which was bought by Cumulus. Cut four. Go. The issue of the president uh, is 80 years old. This man never elected. Would be 86 at the end of his second term. Our CBS News poll this morning shows that only 22% of Democratic-leaning voters are excited about the prospect of uh, President Biden running for re-election. I want to ask you this. As a young man, when he was coming of age, uh, the president who was inaugurated in 1961 said that it was time to, that a torch had been passed to a new generation. Why has President Biden not decided to pass the tor- torch at this point? Why does he still want to hold it? So I'll couple- tell you why. Uh, I don't. Uh, I let her answer it her way, which will be, you know, a little hatch act. I'll answer it my way. Because he's a selfish bastard. That's why. What else is this guy going to do? He's been hoarding classified documents in three different locations. He has a Corvette while he wants to outlaw others from owning a Corvette. What else is this guy going to do? And so he views, you know, this is retirement for him, to be honest with you. He doesn't have to buy his own food. They, They cook it for him. If he were retiring, they'd put him in a home where somebody else would cook it for him, but he'd have to pay for it. Here, he's at the White House, somebody cooks it for him, they feed him, give him his bib, have a spittle cup. It's all set for him. He doesn't have to worry about driving a car. Cars are driven for him, gets helicopter rides, doesn't have to go to... uh, you know, an amusement park for helicopter rides. There he is. He gets him whenever he wants. He can have his ice cream. He can get a double scoop of ice cream with a waffle cone. Anytime he wants. President of the United States. I mean, look at the reality of the situation. He can get a plane ride. He's always wanted to go to this place or that place. Gets a nice plane ride. Enjoys his time on Air Force One. Doesn't it the fly commercial? It's really cool. And he can spend 40% of his time in Wilmington or Rehoboth Beach. Plus, as he announced, they're putting in brand new bulletproof windows in his homes. The government's built a wall around his home in Rehoboth Beach. I mean, after all, they had a lot of mortar and brick and steel left over from the southern border. He can set policies that utterly don't affect him but imposes will on all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons and all kinds of things Jill loves it after all she loves going to the sporting sporting events without paying they're cheap bastards on top of everything else and as our man Lenny Dykstra said great 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 baseball player for the Phillies I think he played for the Mets too but who cares about that, Mr. Producer? Uh, let's hope she's not rooting for the Philadelphia 76ers because they'll lose the way the Phillies did and the way the Eagles did in the World Series and in the uh, Super Bowl. She's the kiss of death when it comes to these games. He's right about that. 
So Joe Biden is running for re-election because of all these reasons. And of course he can pardon himself. And pardon his son if he needs to. Probably won't have to pardon himself because he's got a a mob lawyer there, effectively, as the Attorney General of the United States, who's looking out for him and his boy. Should, should go fairly smoothly. So Portnoy asks, Yes, sir. Well, what about all this and age? Go ahead. I want to be very careful. Again, this is the 2024 uh Related to the 2024 No, uh, not really. You can't comment on Biden's age because it's related to the election. No, it's related to his age. Go ahead. Be careful on, um, on that piece. But what I can say more broadly uh, is that, uh, you know, as it relates to your first part of the question, um, you know, when it comes to age, it's the same thing that we heard in 2020. Right? We heard that over and over in 2020. And, and we were uh, right in 2020. He's a fool. An absolute fool. When he had a few brain cells to rub together, he was a fool. Go ahead. And if you look at what the president has done this past two years... Yeah, he's, he's destroyed a- the country. He's empowered China. He's empowered Iran. We have millions and millions more illegal aliens all over the country. Fentanyl coming out of our ears. He's undermined the United States military. He's undermined women's sports. He's destroyed school choice. He's destroyed the Middle East, quite frankly. The Abraham Accords. Iran is more powerful than ever because he he won't enforce any sanctions and he's lifted others. The dollar is weak. The communist Chinese are strong. They're replacing our currency. We've seen what he's done since 2020, you moron. That's why when you heard his announcement, he didn't even mention his record. I'm going to protect the democracy from the mega extremists. I'm going to protect Social Security. I'm going to this. I'm going to that. I'm going to... What have you done, you... Go ahead. Deliver and get things done, right? Where Republicans are trying to, Republicans in Congress, Republicans on the other well, side. Well, I just thought she said she can't talk about politics, Mr. Producer. Was she asked about Republicans? No, but apparently the Hatch Act does not apply to trashing and smearing and lying about Republicans. Go ahead. Yeah, are, to- are trying to pull us back, not move us forward. We want to move forward, not backwards. Forward to the abyss. Yes, we want to fall into the abyss. We want to move forward. Forward to what? I'm so tired of these shibboleths. I'm so tired of these nonsensical phrases. Hey, we want to move forward. We don't want to move uh, backwards. Uh, we want to build from the bottom, uh, the bottom up, and the middle out. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, uh, we want everyone to pay their fair share. That's right, fair share. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. 
Don't fall for the free phone deals from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, folks. Just another trick to lock you into a long-term contract that's going to cost you a fortune every single month. Instead, get a brand new iPhone 12 from Pure Talk for just 12 bucks a month at 0% interest, no contract. Cancel or leave anytime. Get a new iPhone, ultra-fast 5G service, and cut your cell phone bill in half. That's why I'm a Pure Talk customer. That's why you should be, too. You can switch right now at puretalk.com in as little as 10 minutes. Choose from a variety of unlimited talk and text plans starting at 30 bucks a month with plenty of high-speed data, all backed by a 100% money-back guarantee. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, L-E-V-I-N PODCAST, and you'll save 50% off your first month. An iPhone 12 for 12 bucks a month and save on your monthly bill. PureTalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Restrictions apply. You can see the site for details. You know, folks, I I went to the Reagan Ranch and the Reagan Ranch Center out in Santa Barbara and the hell of Santa Barbara. Absolutely fantastic place. Kept up beautifully. The Reagan Ranch. I don't think it's more than 1,200 square feet, give or take. Two bedrooms, a kitchen. A lot of the work done on the Reagan Ranch was done by Ronald Reagan himself. He fixed the roof, built the fence, did the patio with the stonework in it. He was chopping wood, took care of the horses. Put the saddles on the horses, took the saddles off the horses. He didn't wait around for people to help him. He did these things. Don't fall for the free phone deals from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, folks. Just another trick to lock you into a long-term contract that's going to cost you a fortune every single month. Instead, get a brand new iPhone 12 from Pure Talk for just 12 bucks a month at 0% interest, no contract. Cancel or leave anytime. Get a new iPhone, ultra-fast 5G service, and cut your cell phone bill in half. That's why I'm a Pure Talk customer. That's why you should be, too. You can switch right now at puretalk.com in as little as 10 minutes. Choose from a variety of unlimited talk and text plans starting at 30 bucks a month with plenty of high-speed data, all backed by a 100% money-back guarantee. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Levin Podcast, L-E-V-I-N Podcast, and you'll save 50% off your first month. An iPhone 12 for 12 bucks a month and save on your monthly bill. PureTalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Restrictions apply. You can see the site for details. He's driving the media mad. Mark Levin, call in with your outrage. 877-381-3811. All right. Hello. Phil Jackson. The coach, the former coach of the L.A. Lakers, was a great coach, too. He was a great basketball player. Kind of a Zen guy, if you will. And he made a statement I agree with 100%, even though he has a stronger will than I in this regard, because I have returned to watching sports because these folks have uh, gotten their act together. I don't see them kneeling or whatever. But let's listen to this. Cut 13, go. 
do you uh, still watch a lot of basketball or no? I don't. Tell me about that. When and did you stop immediately from the time you stopped coaching? No, I didn't. I watched some of the game evolve and decided and they went into the lockout year and they did something that was kind of wanky. They did a bubble down in Orlando mm-hmm. and all the teams that could qualify mm-hmm. went down there and mm-hmm. stayed down there. Mm-hmm. No audience. And they had things on their back like, you know, justice. And uh, yeah, I made a little funny thing like, uh, you know, justice just went to the basket and uh, equal opportunity just knocked him down. And uh, somebody, uh, I have another name for a guy who has jersey in the back of a jersey, had some other slogan. So my grandkids thought that was pretty funny to, to, to play up those names. So I, I, I couldn't watch that. And the Lakers won, actually. They, they won that year. And, uh, do you feel but, like it just made little of the game, like it made it like a sideshow? What do you think it was that turned you off? Well, it was... It was uh, they even had slogans on the floor, on the baseline. It was catering. It was trying to cater to an audience or trying to bring a certain audience into mm-hmm. play. And it, they didn't know it was turning other people off, you know. Mm-hmm. People, people want to see sports as non-political. Mm-hmm. You know, we've had, we've had a lot of different type of uh, players that have gone on to be like, you know, Bill Bradley was a senator, number of baseball players have been representatives and senators and political, but their politics stay out of the game. Yeah, it's separate. not the, it's the separate. need to be there. I believe that strongly. You know, Stephen A. Smith and I don't agree on this, or we didn't used to. But I believe strongly in this. You can talk politics, talk it off the field, off the court. People need a break. And so that's why they watch sports. They don't want to hear about your social justice agenda. All these millionaires running up and down the court, running up and down the field, chasing baseballs, chasing golf balls and all that. We we don't want to hear it. You're not great representations of social justice warriors. You don't live in, quote, the, quote, the hood. Your kids go to the best schools. You wear extremely expensive outfits. The fans, who earn a thousand times less than you do, are paying confiscatory ticket prices or for a cup of soda or a beer or a soft pretzel or a bag of popcorn or a hot dog. Enormous sums of money. I want to hear all your crap. And the idea that you're an athlete, so you represent an entire race of people, is ridiculous. You don't. You don't even demonstrate that you do. Just because you open your big mouth during a press conference. Who's that idiot coach that I cannot stand, Mr. Producer? Begins with a, what's his name? Popovich. What a schmuck. And Kerr. Two frauds, phonies. Two liberal kooks. So Jalen Rose, who is an ABC ESPN uh, analyst, was a basketball player. 
He's got to jump into the middle of this. Multi-millionaire. He's a social justice warrior, of course. Cut 14, go. You can't make this up. Hall of Fame coach and 11-time champion Phil Jackson claims to have stopped supporting the NBA because it became too political when it went into the bubble and was catering to certain audiences by putting slogans on the back of jerseys and Black Lives Matter on the floor. The same Phil Jackson that won championships with some of the greatest black athletes in the history of the game. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant made millions on their backs. Whoa, 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 uh, uh, hold on there, pal. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pitten, P- uh, Pippen, Shaquille O'Neal, the late Kobe Bryant. Were they uh, social justice warriors too? Did I miss something? How? And it's a team. You have a coach. The coach is very, very important. Phil Jackson was a great coach. So now it's a white-black thing. Because Jalen Rose is an imbecile. So now it's a white-black thing. So if you say, I really don't want the politics out there. I really don't want the, uh, the, the, the woke efforts at appealing to an audience of sorts. I really don't want that. I just want to watch basketball, enjoy the game, look at the professionalism surrounding the game. Now you're a racist. Phil Jackson is a liberal. I believe he's a Democrat. But he was definitely like into this Buddha Zen stuff. Okay, fine. And so he can't believe that the guy says, will you leave that crap outside the arena? The game is tough enough. It's tough enough to get fans in there to pay your salaries. And I want to tell you this, Jalen Rose. These players didn't make Phil Jackson rich. We did, the fans. We made you rich. We made the players rich. Phil Jackson rich. The owners rich. And you guys who broadcast on ESPN rich. The players didn't make anybody rich. They attracted an audience. But the audience is the consumer. And you see, that's the problem with you, you jerk. You would never hear me say anything like that. My audience is responsible for any of my success. The people listening to this show, they're the ones. And you have no respect for the fans. None whatsoever. Phil Jackson does. Phil Jackson does. He didn't didn't say everybody should do what he did. He didn't even make it public that he wasn't watching basketball anymore. He was asked it by some guy named Rick Rubin. I don't know who the hell Rick Rubin is. Might be the most famous guy on the face of the earth. I don't know. Doesn't matter to me. But Phil Jackson spoke the truth for millions and millions of people, including fans. And let me tell you something. Football first. They were the first to dip their toe into this water with that idiot Kaepernick. 
They won't play me. Everybody's tried him. He sucks. Now he's turned on his parents who adopted him. They adopted him. Now he's turned on them. They're racist too. Everybody's a racist, don't you know? Except, of course, Kaepernick. Now that said, just Jalen Rose, this analyst, Jalen Rose, he knows what needs to be said to remain in his job at ESPN, or as like we like to call it, ISPN. He knows what he has to do, and he did it. But let me tell you something, Jalen Rose. Phil Jackson was more important, more relevant, more profoundly historic in the sport of basketball than you'll ever be, or you ever were. Ever were. And I don't even mean as a player, I mean as a coach. You're third tier, pal. Third tier. And so he's free to say what he wants to say, of course. But a lot of people agree with him. Not because they're racists. But because they work hard. And when they turn on the television. Or when they pay confiscatory prices for a ticket to go to a basketball game. They don't want to be lectured. And it's interesting to me, Jalen Rose, have you ever helped expose now Black Lives Matter? Now that you brought it up, he didn't bring up Black Lives Matter, you did. Did you help expose that that was a Marxist operation that ripped off its donors? Did you? Did you? No, you didn't. Because you don't have nearly the guts that if Phil Jackson does. So get off my radio, you jerk. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Don't fall for the free phone deals from Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, folks. Just another trick to lock you into a long-term contract that's going to cost you a fortune every single month. Instead, get a brand new iPhone 12 from Pure Talk for just 12 bucks a month at 0% interest, no contract. Cancel or leave anytime. Get a new iPhone, ultra-fast 5G service, and cut your cell phone bill in half. That's why I'm a Pure Talk customer. That's why you should be, too. You can switch right now at puretalk.com in as little as 10 minutes. Choose from a variety of unlimited talk and text plans starting at 30 bucks a month with plenty of high-speed data, all backed by a 100% money-back guarantee. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code LEVINPODCAST, L-E-V-I-N PODCAST, and you'll save 50% off your first month. An iPhone 12 for 12 bucks a month and save on your monthly bill. PureTalk.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Restrictions apply. You can see the site for details. By the way, you know who we have next hour? And you're not going to want to miss him, Thomas Baker. Remember the retired FBI special agent I told you, where he wrote a book called The Fall of the FBI? And he really, really undresses Comey and Mueller and all the rest of them. And this guy, he was the FBI agent on the scene when... Princess Di got in the accident and died in France in the tunnel there and so forth. This guy's the real deal. You're not going to want to miss that. That's the next hour. They didn't ask to come on. We asked that he come on. 
And a reminder that next Sunday is the second half interview of President Trump. Uh, If you run a Democrat news outlet, you're banned from watching. I'm officially banning the Mediaite, a.k.a. Mediocreite. I'm abandoning Media Matters for Un-Americans. I am banning... Who else should I ban? Oh, the British Independent, which is hardly any of that. So I'm banning all the Democrat Party corrupt media from watching. But all of you folks can watch, and I encourage you to do so. And we'll start to see articles like the following. We have already, and I've brought them to your attention. Headline, Washington Compost. Switching to wind and solar will require a lot of land. Did you know that, Mr. Producer? Analyst by Maxine Jaslow. Good morning and welcome to Climate 202. We hope you had a great Earth Day on Saturday. The rain in D.C. unfortunately kept us from going for a hike. Below, we'll cover the EPA's forthcoming greenhouse gas emission standards for power plants. But first, I'm reading from her note. America's energy transition hinges on decisions about land use, report says. There's an often overlooked aspect of America's energy transition. It will require a lot of land. That means decisions about land use could have a profound impact on the speed and scale of the nation's shift to clean energy, according to an analysis shared first with the Climate 202 by the ICF Climate Center. They never lie. A climate research group within global consulting firm ICF. Large-scale wind and solar farms require at least, hello, ten times as much land per unit as coal and natural gas-fired power plants including the land used to produce and transport the fossil fuels, research shows. So taking every inch of land that's required for fossil fuels and clean air uses ten times as much land. Ten times. Only a fraction of all land is suitable for development. Large-scale wind and solar farms require at least ten times. One site might have the wrong slope for solar panels, while another area might be home to an endangered species that development could doom. If developers pick the wrong site, they risk undermining goals of the Inflation Reduction Act, the landmark climate law that offers billions and billions of dollars worth of tax credits for renewable energy projects nationwide. For the first 100 gigawatts of renewables that were developed in the previous decade, land was not an issue, said Hamali Palmar, vice president of energy advisory services. But the setting issue has been hyper-magnified post-IRA. I'm going to dig into this a little bit more. Because you're now going to see the oceans turn ugly, massive amounts of land be used, all because these propeller heads are in charge. I'll be right back. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. 
and Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. Don't you think it would be a good idea, America, if we actually knew what we're doing before we did it, rather than be driven by these ideologues over, over the cliff in an electric vehicle? If the nation knew where all these materials were coming from, how we were getting them, how they were going to be processed, and when they're done in the case of batteries, how we're going to dispose of them, shouldn't we have that all figured out before we destroy our economy? The EPA, that is Biden's war on the electrical grid that I discussed at length yesterday, shouldn't we have a chit-chat about that involving members of Congress? We're going to be relying on this electrical grid, so why is it going to war with the people who produce the electricity? So he's attacking the utilities that create the electricity for the grid. He's attacking the grid. He's attacking the coal miners, the oil producers, the natural gas frackers. He's attacking all of them. And now we learn today something we already knew, but... The Washington Post apparently didn't. They found it to be an important news story. Switching to wind and solar energy require a lot of land. Ten times as much land per unit as coal and natural gas-fired power plants. Isn't that amazing? First, the analysis urges developers to consider how difficult and costly It's going to be to connect to the nation's electricity grid. When a developer wants to build a new energy project, they have to submit an application to a regional operator, which determines how the project will affect the grid. If the regional operator determines the local grid is at capacity, it might ask the developer to pay for new transmission lines and other upgrades. Most proposals wait years to connect to the grid. The end of 2021, about 8,100 projects The mass majority of them, wind, solar, and batteries, were waiting to plug in. This little-known bottleneck, known as the interconnection queue, has slowed the build-out of clean energy across the country. Less than one-fifth of solar and wind projects actually make it through the queue. Many are canceled because of insurmountable upgrade costs. But by proactively studying grid capacity and upgrade costs, developers can boost their odds of success. The authors also emphasize that developers should consider locating their projects in energy communities, quote-unquote, or areas that have lost employment and revenue from shuttered coal mines, coal plants, or other fossil fuel facilities. Under the Inflation Reduction Act, notice all this climate stuff is under the Inflation Reduction Act, the biggest ruse, the biggest fraud, the biggest lie ever. Companies can claim an extra 10% tax credit if their projects are located in energy communities, a key demand of Senator Joe Manchin. You see how all the money's being thrown around? This isn't market-driven. It's not market-driven. Manchin's native Appalachia is home to many of these communities, so are pockets of coal-heavy western states such as Wyoming and Montana. The analysis... Well, that doesn't make any sense. EPA plan would impose drastic cuts on power plant emissions by 2040. This is what we talked about. 
So on top of all the rest, once you finally get to that grid, oh, you got to cut trend. You got to cut emissions by an enormous amount now, drastically by 2040. If implemented, the EPA would set limits so strict that fossil fuel-fired power plants probably would have to use technology to capture their carbon emissions or switch to other fuels to comply. The proposal, in other words, they couldn't do it without extraordinarily huge costs. You're going to bear the brunt of all this, folks. These people are just going to wash their hands and say, I'll put my money elsewhere. This is just too crazy. I'll put my money elsewhere. You know, I, I'll buy off another Biden, maybe get a few good uh, regulations in there. But I'm, I'm not going to, I'm just not going to do this. Jody Freeman, founder and director of Harvard Law School's Environmental and Energy Law Program, has spent the last 11 years on the oil company's board receiving 367000 in compensation last year alone. Freeman says she has complied with Harvard's ethic policies. Yes, she's on the board of ConocoPhillips, too, so of course they're very upset about that. You see, you can't actually have people who worked in the industry, who understand the industry, working on any of this. We need ideologues, you know, a whole bunch of Ralph Naders. That's what we need. People who haven't bought a new suit in 412 years. Don't look like they shaved, like the Unabomber. That's who we need working on these projects, ladies and gentlemen. Not people who actually have skills and experience, no. And this is who we have uh, handling the entire uh, energy situation now. We know the massive propellers have to be backed up with actual fossil fuel. They have these massive batteries, again, the guts of which we have to rely on the communist Chinese for. We know they're loud as hell. We know they're killing birds left and right. But they don't care. We also know they're unreliable. They're very expensive to maintain. The money's nothing. Don't worry. It's just yours. And then we know when they put them out in the ocean, they're killing whales. Killing whales. Oh, that's okay. We're only worried about polar bears now. They're killing whales. They're washing up on the beach of Atlantic City. We used to go to Atlantic City. Every single summer we spent in Atlantic City. Actually, it was right on the border with Ventnor at a place called the Berkeley. But you know what I mean. I never saw whales wash up on the beach, Mr. Producer. A heavy person now and then, but not a whale. Last time I saw a sperm whale on the beach was a picture of Chris Christie. Remember that? With a lovely family there, sitting with the beach chairs uh, on the beach. Nobody else was there, of course. Because Chris is a, uh, a forward-looking Republican. He's a non-mega, mega, or whatever. They're destroying the electrical grid. They're destroying the coal companies. They're destroying the oil companies. They're destroying the natural gas companies. They're destroying everything in between and around. Automobile companies cannot sell electric vehicles at a rate that they need to sell them to be profitable. They're losing billions. They're going to be laying off people. 
And so what is the Obama administration? Obama, yeah, exactly. What's the Biden administration thing? Look, we tried subsidizing this crap. $7,500 a vehicle. But they're still too expensive. So here's what we're going to do, boys. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put in regulations through the Environmental Protection Agency that are so onerous when it comes to the automobile that uses the combustion engine and gasoline. They're going to be so onerous that we'll put them out of business. Then these, these saps that we call the middle class, the working people, they're going to have to pay for these electric vehicles, whether they like it or not. As far as Chinese go, the communist Chinese, and they, they control cobalt out of the Congo and lithium and all the rest of it. Well, we did get our cut of the action, didn't we, uh, Hunter? We got our cut of the action. Yes, big guy. Yes, Mr. 10%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're in. So the Bidens will be happy. Go back to Wilmington, Rehoboth Beach. Hunter will go here and there and impregnate people along the way, Mr. Producer. I think they call them birthing people. Yeah, Biden's got it all figured out. I'll be right back. Mark in. Tom Baker is a retired FBI special agent. He's written a book, The Fall of the FBI. And you should be able to get it on Amazon.com. I don't know about any other bookstore out there, but you can check them out for sure. Thomas Baker, welcome to the program. Tell us quickly a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, Mark, I, I spent over 33 years in the FBI, and then after retiring... I stayed closely engaged with the FBI uh, as a consultant and through several associations. Uh, I got to know, uh, work closely with several of the former directors, past directors, and uh, I was in the FBI and in FBI headquarters when you were chief of staff for Ed Meese. I got to know Is him slightly, right? not as well as you did, but he's a player. He's a man I admire greatly. And uh, I worked with Louis Free and William H. Webster, and their direct, oh, yeah. former directors I admire as well. Yes. And uh, uh, th- and I, I worked in a variety of assignments, as you see in the book, uh, in the United States and, uh, and abroad. I had the opportunity to serve abroad as a legal attache, and that was a very eye-opening experience. So you have very thorough and deep background. And you've written this book, and you take on James Comey, and you take on Mueller. Tell us about this. Well, I think the problem of today's FBI, and it's been a problem for the last four or five years, as you know, is a problem of culture. Uh, I don't think it's a matter of a few bad apples. Uh, You can start ticking off the names of all the bad apples you want. And I think the cultural change in the FBI began under Mueller, and then was uh, exacerbated by the poor leadership of uh, James Comey. Uh, and if I could just take a minute to tell you this, I, I think Absolutely. the key moment was, was Mueller became directed just days before the September 11th attacks. And 
in the, the, the September 11th attacks happened on a Tuesday. On a Saturday, the Saturday morning, he was after the attack, he was summoned to Camp David, uh, the presidential retreat in the mountains of Maryland, uh, to give a report, or that he believed he was there, to give a report on what the FBI had done. So between Tuesday and Saturday morning, it was actually only about three and a half days of work. But in that time, the FBI did what it does best, investigate. And in that time, they identified all 19 hijackers, their associations, their financing, their rental cars, their credit cards, uh, their connections, all the way back to al-Qaeda. And he presented this report that morning to the president, George W. Bush, in front of all his top advisors in Camp David. And when he was done speaking, expecting praise and thanks, instead, George W. Bush turned and said to him, I don't care about that. I just want to know how you're going to prevent the next one. Shortly thereafter that morning, Tennant gave a presentation, George Tennant, then the director of the CIA, uh, with a plan of action going forward. When, and when he was done speaking, uh, George W. Bush said, great. And he turned and looked at Mueller. He said, that's what I want to hear. Mueller was humiliated. Now, we know this and we know the scenario because Mueller told us this several times and other people who were there told us this. But then Mueller set up out to change, and he said this, to change the culture of the FBI. He wanted to turn away from its law enforcement mentality and become an intelligence agency. And a lot of bad things flowed from that decision. Mm-hmm. That's very, very interesting. Now, how was he at, he changed the culture of the FBI. How was he as an FBI director? Was he competent, political, partisan, a boob, what? Well, first of all, he was very hands-on. He was very demanding. He did not like, and this we all know now, and many, many other men will tell you this, he did not like the special agents in charge. He had been, as you probably know, Uh, in the U.S. Attorney's Office and a U.S. Attorney uh, in two different cities, uh, San Francisco and Boston. Uh, He had dealt with the case agents there. He didn't like uh, the agents in charge. And some people say he didn't like any agents, but that's that's all a matter of opinion. Uh, But with, with the September 11th attacks, he wanted that entire investigation handled out of headquarters by headquarters not by any field officers now this is very contrary to fbi procedures in the past where we had an office of origin and in the september 11th attacks it logically would have been new york or perhaps washington field uh in both cases they had international squads that had been working on al-qaeda for several years already and we and there were agents in the field who had a lot of experience in 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 this type of thing but he wanted all pulled into headquarters right under his thumb, and he pushed back at anybody who told him differently. So that was the first case run out of headquarters. Later, Comey did the same thing with the Hillary Clinton email investigation and the Russian collusion investigation of, of the Trump campaign. That, that had a lot of immediate bad consequences, because when you do that, when you run it out of headquarters like that, the people making the 
tough decisions in headquarters are the people doing the investigations. You've eliminated layers of review, typically, and I know you probably know this, uh, Mark, but typically you have a case agent. He has a, a field supervisor over him out in the field. Then there's the agent in charge of that field office. All levels of review that headquarters has at different levels has oversight of them. Mueller de- and then Comey did away with all of that for these sensitive investigations. They called them headquarters specials. So you had in the presidential investigation, the investigation of Trump, you had a person making decisions. Uh, for instance, Peter Strzok, a deputy assistant director, making the decision in the case and then literally going out and doing the investigation, conducting the interviews. No review, no independent judgment. It was bound to end badly. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. The, well, what are the big differences between Mueller and Comey? Comey strikes me as extremely political and sort of a king who sits back and waits for people to tell. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. How, how do you see it? Okay, well, Mueller, uh, Mueller, as I said, was very hands-on, very demanding uh, of, of his subordinates, uh, very rigid, very demanding, but very well-informed, very on top of things when he was on his game, very on top of things. Comey is described to me by executives who worked with him as someone who floated above it all. And I literally, one guy waved his hand over his head describing it. He didn't get involved in any of the details. He floated above it all. Uh, that was Comey's management style. Mm-hmm. Somebody has referred to that as lazy. Was he lazy? Uh, that uh, one of my reviewers of my book used that, and that yes. might, might fit in because he was lazy. He, but he did set out. I mean, he was malicious too. Let's not. All right, I don't up. want you to leave, Thomas Baker. We want to carry over the bottom of the hour. Retired FBI special agent. You can tell enormous experience. I want to focus on Comey now. Fantastic book, The Fall of the FBI. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. 
If you want to talk to Mark, we have two numbers for you to call. For regular Americans, call 877-381-3811. For liberals, call 877-381-3811. Thomas Baker is a retired FBI special agent who's written a fantastic book, The Fall of the FBI. Uh, it's on all my social platforms, the link that is, and you can go directly to Amazon.com if you'd like to order your copy. And I saw a review of the book. You might remember I mentioned it on the air a week or so ago, and I said, we need to have this gentleman on the program. And here he is. Thomas Baker, tell us about James Comey. The audience is going to be very curious about what you think. Well, uh, the synopsis of the bottom line on it is, I, it is my opinion that James uh, James Comey is, was the worst director the FBI ever had, that he did more damage to the FBI and its reputation than the other director. Uh, and you, you used the term uh, lazy, or, or you quoted somebody else who did. Uh, that might fit the case because he, he was not hands-on. He was floating above it all. And he let a lot of things happen. Number one, the initiation of the investigation of a president of the United States based on little or no predicate information. That was the most disastrous thing and one of the most disastrous things that have ever happened to our country. Yeah. He allowed that to happen in his laziness. Then they, uh, then there was a, a, a FISA warrant, which we could spend a lot of time just talking about FISA, initiated against an American citizen, Carter Page. He signed, personally signed, three of the four Pfizer applications or renewals. And uh, he obviously, unlike previous directors that I can talk about, like William Webster, he obviously didn't read that. Because if he read it, he would have seen right through it that there wasn't enough predicate in those warrants. And the inspector general has found that out, or found that out quite early on. So he was lazy. He floated above it all. He did a lot of damage. He tried to incriminate a president. He, he did a memo of his initial conversation with uh, President Trump at the time, and uh, then immediately leaked the memo, trying to incriminate a president. What was Unbelievable. he thinking? Do you think, and I knew a lot of great men and women who worked at the FBI at the senior levels. I met with them all the time. Do you think you and they would be welcome with open arms back into the current FBI? Uh, I'd like to think so, but I don't think so. I, I, I have continued to talk to FBI executives and uh, people who recently retired uh, at book signings around the country. I have found it very validating, I'll use that word, that people come up to me who were executives, in fact, in the time period you're talking about, uh, who have told me, uh, you know, encouraged me in what I'm doing. Um, so that, that is heartening. Um, I don't think so. I'll tell you why. And it's in the book. Uh, when Bill Barr became attorney general, which was, I think, six or eight, six months, maybe 18 months after uh, Ray uh, Christopher Ray had become FBI director. The, the problems were apparent to many of us and, and to him, certainly. And Bill Ball was in close contact with many former FBI executives. This is, I'm not telling a secret out of school. Right. They've discussed it. He's discussed it. Uh, and he proposed 
And I have this in the book, and I have a couple of names in the book, not all the names, because some people prefer not to have their name used. But Bill Barr proposed early on to Ray that this was a cultural problem, not a few bad apples. And he made a specific proposal of a panel of advisors of three former FBI top executives uh, to, to advise him and guide him to get the FBI back on track as a law enforcement organization. Ray pushed back on that idea. Now, some people could sympathize with Ray and saying, well, he didn't want outside interference or whatever, but he pushed back on that idea. And so a number of these men, and I talk about this towards the end of the book when I get to the section, The Ugly, uh, did in fact informally advise uh, Bill Barr on a lot of things. And Bill Barr to this day, he spoke only about two weeks ago at a National Review Symposium, and he clearly enunciated, as I've been doing, that the problem with the FBI is the change in culture that Mueller and Comey threw the baby out with the bathwater when they were trying to introduce more intelligence into the FBI, and that that is the root of the problem, and the culture has to be addressed. There have to be structural changes, and that's Barr's current words, and that's certainly my thinking, and that's certainly the thesis in my book. But if you're the Attorney General of the United States and you can't get these things done, or at least get them initiated in a way, because your FBI director is standing in the way, and I'm no fan of Christopher Wray in the least. If he can't do it, who the hell can do it? Well, that's the problem. I think down the road, hopefully a new administration, a new director, uh, a new attorney general. The, the director can't do it himself. He has to have the whole management team. They have, they have to recognize the problem. And I've heard Ray... Numerous times, every time one of these problems comes up, uh, he, I call it the bad apple argument. He says, we've gotten rid of these people. The, the people who were involved in the, in the Russian collusion thing, they're no longer with us. Uh, when, they, when the investigation in Michigan about the conspiracy against the governor went off the track, he had two or three of those agents fired. Uh, when the investigation of the gymnast, which was handled awfully, uh, he had two uh, two of those agents are gone uh and and every time something happens he says well they're no longer with us uh in this uh latest thing which is really scary when you see these intelligence analysts who are very woke individuals and have gotten a lot more power in recent years in the fbi when they were come up with a proposal uh to to develop intelligence on traditionalist Catholics, ascribing to them all kinds of uh, evil intentions when there is no proof, and there was no proof offered whatsoever, and they've never advocated violence, much less committed any violent acts. Uh, when that all came to light, thanks to a whistleblower, uh, Ray Mealy said, well, they don't represent FBI values. Well, you got to look at why is all this happening again? The culture has to be changed. We have to get back to the Constitution, back to our roots in law enforcement, back to a law and order, swear to tell the truth, law enforcement mentality. There, there is such a difference between a law enforcement agency and an intelligence agency. Unfortunately, Ray, who had been an assistant attorney general for national security, 
And a lot of the intelligence analysts who've risen up in the Bureau in the last 20 years since September 11th, they don't see this. I've talked to some of them in person, and they give you back a lot of double talk about uh, extremists this versus terrorists that. They don't see the need to get back to the fundamental grounding in the Constitution that we used to have, the respect for the Constitution that was shared certainly by the special agents. Let me ask you this. What about the, uh, <clears throat> you've got a special counsel here, and you have a warrant, a SWAT team that goes down to Mar-a-Lago. I can tell you, uh, Thomas Baker, that if I had been chief of staff and I had brought to Attorney General Meese the idea, coming out of prosecutors of the FBI, that we sent a SWAT team down to Georgia because Jimmy Carter had documents. We asked for him for a period of a couple of months, and we don't know if we have them. He would have thrown me the hell out of his office. He would have said, we don't use warrants and SWAT teams against former presidents of the United States. Just go down there and, and negotiate. Or he would have picked up the phone and called him and said, hey, look, this is the situation. So we would never have gone through that route. Was it shocking to you as an old FBI guy? I don't mean age-wise, I mean experience-wise. Well, absolutely, Mark. And what you described absolutely is is my recollection and my experience, too. Um, In so many of these things, which are essentially white-collar crime, um, I mean, if someone was arrested, two guys in suits and ties went up to arrest them. But often in these white-collar crime cases... Uh, you, you'd have the uh, the man's attorney would bring him in. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, th- th- there's an abuse. You know, first of all, let me say this. So many of these things that have happened, in, in addition to, to Ray falling back on that he fired all these bad people or let them leave, which is true. What, what they also fall back on in so many of these is it's legal that for instance, the search warrant at Mar-a-Lago undoubtedly was legal. Undoubtedly, there was an affidavit sworn before a, a, a magistrate to get that search warrant. Und- undoubtedly, a lot of these things are legal. But just because they're legal doesn't make them right. To use authority, to use power, raw power like that, when it's unnecessary, is an abuse. And that's what a lot of these things have been, is an abuse of authority. Mm-hmm. An abuse of power, an abuse of an office. And you're Christopher Ray. You obviously listen again. When I was there, if there was a big issue, the FBI director directly, the associate attorney general of the United States, the deputy attorney general, the assistant attorney general for the criminal division. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, and the attorney general, they all be sitting around a table and discussing this. It didn't just happen at the. Uh, at the agent level or the special agent level, this is big deal. So they all had to sign off on it, Tom. Mark, you're exactly right. And, and that's one uh, particular case I can mention, which uh, I think your, your period, uh, your time overlapped some of this, was Abscam. I can right. remember, and other cases that I was in the field office that we would have to take when it, the, the subject was potential subject was a congressman or a U.S. senator or some official like that or a judge. 
we would have to go sit down before the director. This is before the director gets to sit in on the meetings you're talking about with the attorney general and the associate attorney general. We'd have to sit down with the director, come over from Washington Field, and you know what he kept asking? Do you have more? Do you have Mm -hmm. more? Is this all you have? Those are the questions we got. But these people, they went off and, and initiated an investigation of a president of the United States based on a second-hand rumor, this fellow Papadopoulos speaking at a bar in London. They started that investigation. We'd, we'd go over with a lot more stuff than that uh, about a, on a congressman, for instance, and, and Judge Webster, the FBI director at the time, would send us back to get more. You don't have enough to go forward on this. The mentality today has, because it's a loose mentality, it's an intelligence mentality, and an intelligence agency operates to certain, to looser standards. In a law enforcement agency, as you know, every day, that special agent at that level, and the same as a policeman or a police detective, they're working towards the day when they're going to have to stand up in a courtroom, raise their right hand, and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's a hell of a lot different than an intelligence mm-hmm. agency where you can engage in speculation, as this intelligence analyst did, speculating that traditional Catholics who like to use Latin are somehow a threat to our democracy. Let me tell you something, Thomas Baker. You're terrific. The book is terrific. I want you to get it, folks. A lot of this will uh, make sense. What's been going over the last many years the Fall of the FBI, <clears throat> excuse me, that's the name of the book, The Fall of the FBI. You can go to Amazon.com or any of my social sites. It was Glenn Beaton who did the review on Substack of your outstanding book. And Thomas Baker, Tom, if I may call you that, I want to have you back. I have to, I have to go now, but uh, your insight is absolutely indispensable, and I want to make sure you have a national platform, or at least you can talk to me from time to time. Is that a deal? Mark, thank you, and thank you for all the good that you do. Thank you, sir. God bless. Wow, he was great, was he not, Mr. Producer? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. How you doing? You know, the third hour of this program is a very, very important hour. We have some incredibly important guests where I save some of our big stories, not just for the first and second hour, but I don't like to front load them. I like to spread them out into the third hour so I don't rush through them. So those of you who hang in there, I really appreciate it. Mr. Producer, there's a number of things I wanted to talk about. Make sure on the clips tomorrow on the articles you include that which I was going to discuss today. Over at uh, the morning schmo, I'm not, I don't have time to play, nor do I intend to. GOP is attacking Kamala Harris because she's a black woman. Did you know that? First of all, I didn't know she was a woman. If she doesn't know she's a woman, how do I know she's a woman? Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, the men and women who drive our trucks, the men and women, the freedom fighters in... Ukraine and Taiwan and all of you, I want to thank you for your loyalty. 